All right, so here we are in First Timothy chapter five tonight, and um, continuing to go through this book. And before we do, I just want to kind of remind you how one of the things we've been kind of focusing on and seeing a lot of in First Timothy is uh, just kind of an emphasis on our behavior as Christians. God expects us to act a certain way, and we see a lot of instructions given in here for different things. And mostly what we see here in chapter 5 is how we are supposed to treat other people. And you need to keep these things in mind. You need to know this passage, and you need to follow it, because once again, you are if you're a member of this church, if you're a part of Liberty Baptist Church, God expects some things from you, and we expect some things from you. And you're here not just so you can come and just fill some space. You're not just here to, you know, for you to come get something and to hear the preaching. You are supposed to contribute to the cause and in what we do. And part of what we are supposed to do as a church is to edify one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to exhort each other and so much more as we see the day approaching. And one of the ways we do that is we exhort each other by treating each other right. And there is a certain treatment that um, we ought to expect, that that we can expect from each other, and we see many of these things in here. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. Now when it's talking about the elder here, sometimes when the Bible talks about an elder, it's talking about the pastor uh, but it's not always about the pastor. And so I believe this part here is just talking about those who are older than you. And I, I'm, one of the main reasons I believe that is because right after that, he says, you know, you treat the old, elder like fathers and the younger as brothers. So those who, if they're older than you, treat them like fathers. If they're younger, treat them like brothers. Say, so, well, what if they're he's six months older than me? All right. I think basically what he's trying to say here, you know, if, it's, if they're old enough to be a brother, treat them like a brother. You know, if they're old enough to be your father, treat them like a father. All right. Don't make me put a number on it. All right. Don't make me get real technical. But I, I think we can get the spirit of what he's trying to say here. And he's saying, you know, rebuke not an elder. You know, we ought, to, we, you know, we need to get back to some good old-fashioned etiquette and respect. There was a time when young people knew to respect their elders. You heard I mean, that's a common statement. You know, respect your elders. I know the 60s generation, I think that they, they kind of helped get rid of a lot of that stuff and fought that. But we ought to be respectful to those who are older than us. We ought to assume that they probably know more than we do. Seems that they have more life experience than we do. There ought to be a certain level of respect. And you know what? Sometimes people that are older than us, they do mess up. Sometimes they do make mistakes. And they, they are wrong. Just because they're older, it doesn't mean that they're always right. And that's why he's saying here, you know, rebuke not an elder, not because they're always right, but you know, because there's a certain level of respect that we ought to give them. And just like a child should not rebuke their father who is an authority over them because they ought to have some respect, you know, they, if, if a father is wrong, you know, there's a way that should be handled. It should be handled with respect. You know, it should be handled with love. And we ought to treat Older men, as men, we ought to treat older men in the church that same way. And we shouldn't just be, you know, if there's a problem, you should just be calling them up and chewing them out like they're your, like they're your little brother or something like that. You ought, you ought to give them a certain level of respect and to say, if, if there's a problem, handle it the way you would your father. Okay? 
Now, I know even in our American generation, people don't even respect their fathers very much. I think the Bible here is assuming that you have some respect for your fathers. But one of the Ten Commandments is honor thy father and thy mother. And so if the Bible is telling us here to not rebuke an elder, but to treat him like a father, I think it means we need to give them some honor. Look what it says in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32. Leviticus 19 verse 32. Listen to what it says here. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God, I am the Lord. Notice that there. It's, it's telling you, you know, rise up before the hoary head. In other words, you see that gray head coming in. You see that white hair. He's saying, you know what, rise up. People used to do that. There was a time when if a lady would enter the room, men would stand up. That there, we used to have etiquette. I know we live like animals in America today, we, and we don't do this type of thing. But you know, we ought to, and I'm not, I'm not saying that if you, you know, don't rise before people, you know, you're being disrespectful to them, but understand that, you know, you're just not doing anything in many cases. In our culture, if a lady walks in a room and men don't stand up, nobody notices, nobody cares. Alright? But you know what, isn't that kind of a sad, Testament to our society. And, you know, we often wonder why women don't get any respect. All right? And I understand when we got the Hillary Clintons and the Rachel Maddows and the Whoopi Goldbergs, you know, representing the voice of women in our country, I can see why people aren't respecting women. But understand, those are not women. All right? Those are not, those are not biblical women. And we ought to have some respect. We ought to have some honor for them. And we ought to be for older people. Rise up. Give them respect. What is that saying? What are you doing by standing up? You know what you're doing? You're acknowledging them. You know, if you're, and we used, my dad used to teach me this. Hey, you know, when you're in the presence of older men and adults, you know, don't be interrupting them. You know, let them speak. You're, you're the young one. They're the old one. Let them speak. You listen. That just ought to be our attitude. We shouldn't speak over them. And I don't want to preach a whole message just on etiquette and the type of things we ought to have. But we do see examples of etiquette in the Bible. We see an, uh, an example there in Leviticus chapter 19. And then we see it in 1 Timothy talking about to you know, entreat that elder as a father. Just basically, we ought to give them some respect. And we ought, we ought to honor them. And we don't need to go chewing them out. And so the younger brothers, when it's talking about the younger to treat them as brothers, what does that mean, treating them as a brother? Does it mean I get to punch them in the arm and you know, call them names and do all the bad things the brothers do to each other? Now, basically what that's saying, when you're, what it's saying to treat the younger men as brethren, that's basically teaching to treat them as equals, is what it's saying. You know, and look at what it says in Matthew chapter 23. I'll prove that to you. Treating somebody like a brother means you're treating them as equal. Now, what do we like to do as, you know, siblings, alright? You know, I had four sisters growing up, so I, you know, I wasn't always a perfect brother, but you know what? I think I was as perfect as you could be considering I had four sisters and no brother. I was a victim. So, I, you know, I, I get a pass on everything bad, everything that could be considered bad I ever did, in my opinion. Don't tell my sisters I said that. But, uh, you know, one of the things I would often bring up is the fact I'm older, you know. I'm the older one, therefore I have preeminence. I quoted that, you know, submit, ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder all the time when I was younger to my sisters. trying to, And they did not follow the Bible at all. But anyway, uh, Matthew 23, 18, Jesus speaking, He says, But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. 
And call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. What he's saying here is he's, he's saying, you know what, don't go around you know, looking for these lofty titles and giving other people these lofty titles. You know why? Because you're all brethren. Don't be calling one person master. All right? When you're calling somebody master, you're showing, hey, you, know, you outrank me. You're better than me. You're superior to me. He said, you know, don't do that. Why? Because ye are all brethren. You know what he's saying? You're all equal with each other. So don't give yourselves all these titles, you know, like Dr. Pompous wants to give himself. Now we go by, you know, doctor in the Baptist world. That's the big term that everybody wants to be, get put on themselves. And then after that, you know, you do, you get that extra uh, respect and uh, all the accolades that go with that. The Bible says you're all brethren. Is what he said there. So when we when we're treating the younger like brothers, those who are younger than us, we're basically, you know, we're lowering ourselves. We're considering ourselves on an equal level with them. That's a good attitude. The last thing we need to create in this church is a hierarchy. We don't need that. That is not what we're supposed to have. You're all brethren. Look what it says in verse two: the elder women as mothers. Okay, I really hope you don't go mouthing off to older women in the church. Be respectful to them. Treat them like your mom. I think it's harder to be disrespectful to your mom than it is your dad in many cases. Now, maybe it's different different, uh, different parents. But, you know, we all really look down on the guy that would give his mom grief and you know, chew his mom out and stuff like that. We all remember that kid on Dr. Phil that slapped his mom. What did every person in the world do when that kid slapped his mom? We all wanted to slap that kid. And more. What kind of kid slaps his mom. You know, what kind of kid would do, you know, treat his mom that way? Well, the Bible says we're supposed to treat the older women as mothers. So that respect that you would give your mom, that treatment you give your mom, you ought to give that to the older ladies in the church. And it says, and then the younger as sisters with all purity. Okay? So now treating younger women like sisters, what does that mean? Well, I used to pull my sister's hair. I used to you know, once again, it wasn't my fault. I had four sisters and no brothers. There was going to be some acting up that took place. I'm kind of kidding on all this stuff. But I, I like to be a victim with the rest of America. And that's pretty much my only claim to it. But um, what's it talking about there? Notice how it says, you know, treat the younger women as sisters with all purity. Okay. And what that basically means is you know, brothers are protective of their sisters. Okay. I remember... When, you know, I started getting older and then my sisters are teenagers and then guys would notice my, would start noticing my sisters, you know, and as the brother, you know, I'd be, I'd be watching that guy and thinking, you know, if I thought the guy was a jerk or an idiot or anything like that, you know, I would discourage him because I want to protect them. I don't want some, you know, dirty animal touching my sister and being that way to him because, you know, they're my sister. I have, I have respect for them. I have honor for them. I wouldn't want somebody defiling them. And it's the same thing even today. You know, one of my, my, one of my best friends ended up marrying my sister. All right? After they got engaged, we weren't really that close anymore. All right? I, now, it wasn't because there was anything wrong with that guy, but at the same time, you know, you just... You don't want anybody touching your sister. All right? But you understand when they get married, somebody's going to touch your sister. But you don't want to have to be close to that guy. You don't, have to, you, know, you don't have to be real good friends with that guy. Maybe that was just me. And it's a no, nothing against him, but it just it, it changed things when all of a sudden 
he liked my sister better than he liked me as a friend. <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, and that's fine. But basically, the way we do this with other women in the church, just like we would never do anything to our sisters or want anything to happen to our sisters. Now, I know we live in a world of Josh Duggars. All right? I know we live in a world of perverts. But let me tell you something. I live in a world of normal. Okay? I live in the world of sanity. I live in a world where, you know, we send reprobates off to die, alright? And let me tell you something, you know, just like nobody would ever do anything to violate their sister and hurt their sister, or they would be protective to keep their sister from being violated, that's the way we ought to be with the younger women in the church. And we, we ought to be protective of them. We ought to love them like sisters and watch out for them. And if some scumbag guy comes along, you know, it is men in the church, well, I say, you know, we don't want this dirty pervert in our church. Guy comes around, he starts messing around with women or being disrespectful to the women in our church. You know what? We ought to get up in arms about that. And we ought to have a problem with that guy. And that guy ought to be scared he's going to get the snot beat out of him by the men in this church. And he should get the snot beat out of him by the men in this church if he were ever to do anything. That should be our attitude when it comes to the younger women. We ought to love them like sisters with all purity. And so look at verse 3. And this just kind of hits things. We're kind of hitting a lot of random stuff in here. Look what it says in verse 3. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if a widow have children or nephews... Let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Alright, so there's some interesting things in here I want us to see about widows. It talks quite a bit about widows in this chapter. But first of all, I believe... As a church, we ought to look out for the widows in our church. I believe that we see here that God wanted us to take care of them. He's told us, hey, take care of them. Look out for them. If you've got a lady in your church and she's a widow, you need to look out for her. And notice it mentions too to honor her. Okay, And I'll get back to that in a little bit. But it says, honor widows that are widows indeed. Okay, I believe, I believe that it's important that we make sure that they are taken care of financially that they are fed that they are you know that they have the things that they need and i know that freaks people out I was like how are we supposed to do that how are we supposed to take care of widows if we go around taking care of widows well guess where all the widows are going to come to church they're going to come here and we can't afford to take care of all these widows all right that's why there's some requirements on that all right we don't just go and it's not a free for all where every widow you know gets help by the church we see some requirements in here that we're going to go over, but I do. I believe he's instructing the church to be responsible to, for them. Now, we don't really see this practice today, do we? This is not something that we commonly see practice, and I think part of the reason for that I'm not making excuses or anything. Part of the reason for that is a lot of the laws that we have in this country makes it almost impossible for us to do those things. And in many cases, whether we know it or not we are taking care of them because of the fact somebody else has taken the responsibility that the church has failed to take care of and it's our government. Now, are they doing a very good job? No. But at the same time, are they taking our money and using it? Yes. Are, you know, how much of that money is being used to help them? You know, not a lot. How much are they taking? A lot. 
So, in a sense, I think God's still blessing us in many cases because, you know, what's this, in America, I don't know too many widows. Even in this town, I don't know of any widows that are out there starving to death. Okay? And understand, when it's talking about taking care of them, it doesn't mean we're, you know, we're putting them in these fancy, schmancy apartments and, you know, giving them luxury cars to drive and all these things. But do we really think as a congregation, if one of our own, you know, you think about, you know, ladies like Miss Hazel, and Miss Beulah, you know, just sweet ladies that are widows. I mean, are we going to let them starve? Okay. But does that mean, you know, I don't believe we have to necessarily go and, you know, I don't know what they're living on. You know, they're probably, you know, they're maybe their husband's retirement, Social Security, whatever. But, you know, we would not let them starve to death. If we found out that they were hungry and needed food, these, these ladies that have been faithful to this church since we have been here, that are, that are a blessing, sweet ladies, we're not going to let anything happen to them, are we? But thankfully, they've already been taken care of, you know? And, and I do, I believe we would practice this if it was, if it was necessary. But I, um, I think one of the reasons we don't see a lot of this is because we're so blessed in our country. But if we were in one of these countries where people are starving to death, hopefully we wouldn't be the kind of churches where we're stuffing our faces at home while some old widow in our church is starving to death and does not have food to eat. Okay? I th- and I think, uh, I think for the most part, the reason we don't see a lot of this is because we just don't need a lot of it in America. But I believe we would do it if it was a necessity and if, it, if we need to do that. But... Um, you know, they weren't supposed to just take in any widow. And when they would take them in, those widows would actually serve the church. They were actually uh, servants in the church. Look at it. <clears throat> but at the same time, look at verse 4. <clears throat> Frog in the throat. It says, But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. All right? Now, hold on to your hats, feminists. All right? You're probably not going to like this part right here. But let me tell you something. Look what it says. Okay, a widow, we're going to see one of the reasons things they would take them in and take care of them. It wasn't just so they could meet their needs. The widow would serve in the church. We're going to see that in a little bit. They would work in the church. But notice what it says here. If they have children or nephews at home, you know what their first responsibility is? It's not to go out and get a job, even if it's in the church, it's to take care of those kids at home. What does that tell you about a woman or a wife or a mother? Where is her number one responsibility? It is to those children at home. It is not to her career. And you know what? There's a lot of pastors in Baptist churches that would preach that, that the woman's main responsibility is to those children at home. They should put their children and their homes before their career. But you know what? They'll hire some young mother as a secretary in their church or to be on staff in the church, many times taking them away from their kids. Oh, they're not really taking away from the kids because their kids are in the church daycare. But what does it say right here? These widows that you're taking care of, if they have children, let them take care of them at home. Why? Because that is the main job for a woman to do. I'm sorry, feminist, but that is your main job. You don't need to be out there working on a career or something like that and leave it, and forgetting about your kids at home. That is the main thing. And I don't care if your job is a good one. I don't care if it's a spiritual one and you're the church secretary or church whatever. Your main job as a Christian is to take care of those children at home first. And he makes that very clear in that passage right there. <clears throat> 
Um, and so her first priority, take care of her children. Any woman that just lives for pleasure is dead. Notice what it says there. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. What's that saying? It means she's just literally dead. No, you know what it's saying? She's basically good for nothing. This is like faith without works is dead. Okay? If you have faith, but you're not doing any works, your faith isn't doing anybody any good. And some woman that's just going around living for pleasure, she's good for nothing. That woman that's an idle, tattler, busybody that's just going around from house to house, just going from place to place, stuffing her face with wherever she can, with whoever she can, you know, just going, spending all her time, you know, getting her manicures and facials and all these things. And I know some young single girls like this. I mean, you got these young girls that are in their 20s and 30s and stuff. They never got married. They never had any kids. And so what do they do? They spend all their time living for pleasure. Shopping. I, I know some of these females. They're in their 20s and 30s. And all they do is shop. And all they do is go out to eat and get fat. And then they wonder why nobody wants to marry them and wants to have anything to do with them. Well, because one, you're lazy. Two, you're a glutton. And three, you're going to cost a fortune to support and no guy wants that. I know that's mean. But that's just the reality of it. Somebody's got to tell these four girls the truth. And then they don't... Because they're sitting around wondering why they're old maids you know, just sitting around depressed, stuffing their face with ice cream. Why am I so miserable? Why am I? Why does no guy want to marry me? Yeah, because you're just living for pleasure. And the Bible says that woman that does that is dead while she liveth. You're good for nothing. I don't care how nice you look. I don't care how nice your hair is. Any woman's hair is going to look nice when she spent four hours in the beauty salon. You know, any woman's going to... You're, yeah, your clothes are going to look great. You spent all week shopping for that outfit. You spent $200 on that one outfit. But you know what? Your poor dad you know, had to work his behind off you know, to support you and to, and to buy those things for you. And you wonder why you're so miserable. And I've, I've known too many of these women and I've got to the point I don't feel sorry for them anymore. This is what it is. If, if you're a woman... That it are, and you do not have a husband, you do not have children, and you're just one of these women that's out shopping all the time, getting their nails done, doing all these things. You are dead while you live. You're good for nothing. Go accomplish something. Why don't you go be a blessing to some widow? Why don't you go help out that lady who did lose her husband and has a bunch of kids to take care of? Why don't you go out there and just be a blessing to somebody? There's things that you can do. There's people that need help. There's people that are suffering. There's old ladies out there that have homes that they're, they're too old to clean and do the things that they need to do. And there's women out there that could be being a blessing to those people, but they're too busy drinking $6 drinks at Starbucks all day. And I'm telling you, there, there's a problem with that. And we need to teach our daughters to be better than that. Because that woman who lives for pleasure, okay, your little girl that you love to death, all right, I love my little girls to death. I, want, I like making them happy. And, and I like giving them things that they want. But you know what? I want them to actually be happy. And if I'm just giving them every little thing they want, they will be miserable. I don't want a Baruka on my hands. And I, I know that's not a biblical term right there, but you all know what I meant uh, when I talk about having a Baruka. Was Baruka happy? No, Veruca wasn't happy. She was miserable. She was a bad egg, and that's and I don't want I don't want to raise I don't want to raise one of those. I know that was carnal right there, but but I mean it. And you know, in my house, Veruca, it's a verb. 
You know, stop being, you know, stop being a Veruca. Stop Verucaing. You know, we'll say things like that. And my kids know what it means. It means I'm being greedy and I'm being selfish. And we're not, we're not going to have any of that. Why? Because those people like that, they're good for nothing. Look at verse 7. It says, And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. <clears throat> but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Alright? So notice that verse right there. Now, we often use that verse when talking about somebody providing for their own. And, and this is an accurate statement, okay? If, you know, if, if Brother Lonnie is not taking care of his own, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. But understand, the, the reason this gets mentioned here is because of the fact that we are supposed to be taking care of our own as a church. And we have our own as a church. We have those that we care about, those that we're supposed to look after. And if we are not taking care of them, we're like the deadbeat out there who doesn't provide for his own house. And so that same, you know, stigma that we would put on that person, we ought to put on the church that's not taking care of their own. And we would. We think about the sweet old ladies that we have in this church. If we were, if we were sitting around letting them starve, okay, when we're eating at Pizza Ranch and Asian Buffet and all these places we like to go and stuff our face while we've got an old lady in our church who can't get out and work anymore, who has no food and is starving, we're a sorry bunch if we would let that happen. We should never let that happen. We ought to be looking out for each other. So we're not going to promote this thing. We're not going to invite all the welfare class to come to this church because this is where we take care of widows. And Oh, good. I'll come and these people will buy my groceries and do this and do that. No, there's requirements on these widows. And we're, going to, and we're going to see those. Look at verse 9. So let's look at these requirements for a widow that the church is going to take care of. So look at this, in verse 9, it says, Let not a widow be taken in into, or taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. So they can't be under 60 years old. They have to be over 60. Okay? We've got specific requirements here. Having been the wife of one man, somebody who's only been married one time, not somebody who's been married over and over and over again, or somebody who's been divorced, things like that, well reported of for good works. Okay, so is this going to include the welfare class that's all going to want to come if they hear we take care of widows? All right, is this going to include, I won't say some of the names, remember when we were doing the food pantry here? We had a lot of widows coming for that. But let me tell you something about these widows. We spent some time out at the high-rise doing the Bible studies out there. Nobody's reporting these good works from these women. Alright? These were idle, tattling, busybodies that venom shot from their tongues. They were, they were just... I mean, they were brutal to each other over at that place. The way they act with each other. Nobody reported of them for good works. If it was known that we took care of widows in this church, we would get all of those women over here just so they could come and get stuff. That, that is exactly what would happen. But you know what? We wouldn't have to do it. Because you know what? They don't fit the requirements. You know, a lot of them are over 60 years old, but they were married multiple times, or they were divorced, and they're definitely not well reported up for good works. They haven't done anything for anybody. Let's keep reading. What are some of these good works? If she have brought up children... If she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, this is somebody who is already serving in the church. If she's washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, okay, 
Do we think we're going to be in major financial trouble if this happens? What do you think is going to happen if we take a woman like this and bring her into the church? You know what she's going to do? Those same things that she did serving her family, raising her kids, she's going to bring that work ethic into the church. And you know what she's going to do? She's going to be a blessing. Okay? I know in America, we think that corporations are something that are made just so they can give people jobs with good salaries and benefits. But let me tell you something about a corporation or any kind of company. They're there to make money. For them to make money, they need people who come and produce things. They need people to come and do work that will accomplish something. They need people that are going to come and they're going to carry their own weight and then some people that will be profitable to that company. <clears throat> and a widow who has done all these things, they would be very profitable to the church. They would be a great blessing. They would be somebody that we're not just going to be given to that's just zapping the resources of the church. That a, a woman like this would be a blessing. Verse 11 says, But the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. This doesn't mean they're going to lose their salvation, but there are many things the Bible talks about as a Christian. You know, you can get damnation for or, you know, physical death. You, you can die physically as a result of it. And somebody who has committed to one thing and then they go and they abandon that, go to something else, God's going to be mad at them. You know, if you vow a vow, you ought to pay that vow. And he's saying, don't bring in the younger widows. You know why? Because they're going to eventually want to get married to somebody else. And is it wrong for a widow to remarry? Absolutely not. It is completely appropriate for a widow to remarry if her husband, if she's a widow. That means her husband is dead. That is okay if she does that. But they don't have any business casting off their first faith. And it's just probably going to happen with the younger widows. So he said, refuse them. In other words, discriminate. Alright? Discriminate just because, they, because they're younger. Um, verse 13. Because this is what happens to the younger widows. Because these are the ones, they're younger, they've not brought up children. They might have children, but they've not brought them up. Alright? They're still supposed to be at home, like those ones we saw before, raising their children. That's their responsibility. They're, it's not their responsibility to come and be the church secretary or be this for the church and do that. Their responsibility is to take care of those kids. But these younger ones, they not, they've not, they've, these are ones who I think we can assume don't have children. Because it's already been told that you know, those ones, let them stay at home, let them raise their uh, children. Help take care of them. But they're, they're going to stay at home. But these younger ones, these are ones that don't have children. And if you bring them in, what's going to happen with them says, with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. Y'all see that? I like that too. That tells us these gossipy women that just go around from house to house gossiping, they're following Satan. Oh, that's pushing a little bit. What is one thing that just destroys churches more than anything? 
gossip. One thing that will cause hard feelings in a church, that will cause church splits, will cause people to leave a church, is gossip. Gossip can be one of the most destructive things that will happen in a church. And you know who gossip? I know men gossip too, alright? I understand that men gossip too. But let me tell you, here's who gossips more. Lazy people. Idle people. Okay? And there was a time when it was really hard for a man to be idle. Society expected them to work. It's not like today where we'll put them on a welfare program so they can sit in an apartment and play video games all day. All right? that, one of the reasons we see a lot of gossipy men today is because a lot of men just aren't working very hard. Some men have, maybe they have well-paying jobs that don't require a whole lot of hours. Or maybe they have well-paying jobs that don't require a whole lot of work. And so they got a lot more energy to you know, be some busybody, busybody gossip. Okay? Well, let me tell you something. When you're order filling in a factory 10 hours a day, you don't have time. You, know, you don't feel like going from house to house and gossiping about people. I just don't feel like doing it. After, I, after I've worked all day, the last thing I want to do is go hang, you know, go find Brother Mark, go over to his house just so we can talk about somebody. I want to go home and chill. I want to go in my home and relax. And maybe get an early, you know, get to bed early or something like that. That's what I want to do. I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time with my wife. I want to spend some time with my kids. That requires a lot of energy. The last thing I'm going to be doing is having a little get-together with other men so we can just go gossip about Brother Steve. I don't want to do that. I got better. I love Brother Steve, but you know what? I got better things to do than sit around talking about Brother Steve. And this is just a side note here. My wife and I were talking about it this week. Some people are so self-centered, they think all other people do is sit around talking about them. And I hate to break it to you, but most of you, you're so lame, nobody gossiped about you this week. Nobody talked about you this week. I don't know if that makes you feel any better or not, but those, a lot of these people do. They sit around thinking everybody's talking about them. It's like, sorry, you don't matter that much. All right, so just you know, get over yourself and just come to the conclusion that nobody's talking about you. I said, man, you are mean. You just ruined my week. Uh, but you know, we just sometimes need a little dose of reality. All right, and everybody's not sitting around talking to you. And if if they are, okay, think about this too. Okay, brother Steve. If me and Brother Mark, we have a get-together this week so we can sit around for three hours talking about you. Do you know what that means? It means we are losers. Alright? Big ones. Who cares if a couple losers think bad about you? I don't care what losers think bad about me. I care what people I respect think about me. And I have no respect for a couple men that are so lame that they'll get together like a couple of old ladies drinking coffee and gossiping all day. I have no respect for people like that, men like that. They are losers, and who cares what a bunch of losers think about you? So there's a little bit of comfort for you if you do think people have been gossiping about you. If, if they have, it's because they're losers and you have nothing to worry about. So anyway, I uh, lost my spot. So verse 16. Alright, verse 16, it says, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. And let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So see, notice right here when it comes to widows, we don't want the church taking care of them. Their families should be taking care of them. Okay? Families ought to be the priority that, uh, 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 you know, they have 
first dibs on taking care of them. So some of our widows that we have in the church, some of them do. They do have children. In some cases, they have kids that live close by. Or in some cases, they even have kids that live with them. And those kids often will help take care of them. And you know what? Great. Now the church is not chargeable. It's not, uh, it's not a burden to the church. It's not a problem for the church. And we shouldn't have an attitude. One of the reasons that you know, nobody saves for retirement and does any of those things anymore, because everybody's like, well, we got Social Security. You know, The government will take care of us. Well, you know what? They actually don't do a real good job. You're better off taking care of yourself. And the truth is, we don't want to get the mentality that, hey, well, you know what? I'm going to save myself a little bit of money. I'm going to cancel my life insurance policy because if I die, the church can take care of my wife because churches should take care of widows. Well, you know what? Actually, I want to take care of my wife. All right? I, read, I have Jack Kyle's book on finances and he says, you're not supposed to take care of your wife for as long as you live, but as long as you both shall live. So in other words, you're, you need to take care of your wife as long as she lives. So he was saying in there, get an insurance policy. That way if you die, she's taken care of. And you know what? I think that's good. I want to take care. I, I want to take care of my wife and my kids. As long as my kids are young and are in, in my home, I want them taken care of. And if I die and I'm not able to work, well, you know what? We have something called life insurance that doesn't cost very much, and that will take care of them. And then, if my wife remarries, then it's a new husband's problem. He can take care of her. And I've told my wife, if I ever croak. And I worry sometimes because I got a pretty good life insurance policy. You know, I got to sleep with one eye open. And I tell her, if I die and you remarry, that money is for the kids. You use that. The new guy doesn't have to take care of my kids. I'll take care of my kids. You use that money. But if there's anything left after all those kids are grown up and gone, you take that money and you give it all to the kids. I don't want him to enjoy my money. And and I don't want her to either. So we are no. She married somebody else. That's her problem now. All right. You know, he's he's her problem. If she wants to have some type of pleasure or go on some trip or do something, he can figure it out. Not me. I can't even afford to do some. You know, take her to some of these places. Last thing I'm going to do is pay for the next guy to do it. So you all remember that, and you hold her to it. If I croak, and then you see her partying and living it up with some bum who married her for the life insurance money. She's always like, nobody's going to want to marry me, you know, if I, if I have seven kids, you know, if you die. I'm like, well, somebody's going to, the guy who sees your life insurance money that you get. And just keep that in mind. He just wants the money. Make sure he knows he doesn't get any of it. It's all for the kids. And so y'all are witnesses to hold her to that. But I, I want to take care of them. I'm not going to have the attitude, well, the church can do it. And you know what? That's a bad attitude that the church can do, that, you know, the church can do it. It ought to be the families that take care of them. But you know what? If we do, if we have a widow in this church and her family's not taking care of her, we're not going to say, well, it's not our problem. We'll just let her starve to death. No, let's step up and let's be a blessing. Let's help them. Let's take care of them. But families should do it. So you know what? You all keep that in mind. Okay? And if you have somebody that's in your family that's in need, you know, if you have a sister or something that's a widow, you know what? As her brother... Don't just turn her over to the church. You, know, you, you should help take care of her. She's in your family. That's your sister. You know, be a blessing uh, and, and take care so the church is not chargeable. And so, uh, look at what it says in verse 17. It says, Let the elders that rule well 
be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, we often use this passage to prove you're supposed to pay the pastor. And it says, let them be worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the Word. Well, remember, it said before, in, when we were talking about the widows, to honor widows. And I believe that is not just us being respectful, but taking care of their needs. And I think proof that that's what that means is the fact that we all know in this passage here where he's saying, let the elders that rule well be kind of worthy of double honor. He makes it very clear that that's talking about taking care of their needs because he brings up, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. That elder that's ruling well and that's being a blessing, that's laboring in the Word and that's feeding you the things of God and preaching the Scripture to you, Bible saying, give him double honor. That's what the Bible. That's what the Bible teaches about the pastor, uh, and about that, or or just any elder in the church, anyone who is a, a leader in that church, one who is laboring in the work. We ought to take care of those, and you know, we would call them an assistant pastor uh, today, or a deacon, or something like that. We ought to take care of those people. And so then verse 19, and, I, and I, I'd love to spend a ton of time on that part, but I won't. We've got to get through this. Verse 19 says, Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So right there, we see that we should never, one, it's saying against an elder, receive not an accusation. You know what that's saying? Don't listen to it. Alright? Don't listen to it. Don't be a dumpster where people come and bring their trash. Especially about the leadership in the church. Now, if somebody comes to if, if somebody comes to you and they say for you know, you know, Brother Lonnie, I I saw Pastor Tommy doing something really bad. You know what your responsibility is to do at that point? Say, all right, time out. Before you tell me this, we got to go get two witnesses. Because God forbid you're bringing me gossip. God forbid that you are slandering uh, an elder in the church. And so we're going to do this right. And you go and you get two witnesses. Not your two buddies or his two buddies. Don't let the guy that's wanting to come bring the gossip to you or bring the accusation to you. Bring two buddies. You know, you go get two people in the church that you can trust. People that are respected. People that will be impartial. And say, alright, Brother Aaron's about to unload some stuff. He Apparently he knows something about the pastor. You ready to go? And then, then you listen to it. You know what? Most of the time, I think 99% of gossip would cease if we practice that. Whoa, so you got news on so-and-so? Alright, let's go call a couple of men in the church. Let's get them and let's hear what you have to say. They're going to be listening, you know, because at the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. So we're going to hold you to this. So if you bring this accusation against the pastor, we're going to go to him afterwards and say, hey, Aaron said this about you, Pastor Tom. And if I'm like, you know, that's absolutely not true and I'm able to prove it, he can't now turn around and say, well, I never said that. Hey, I got two witnesses that show you did say it. You did say that. You were lying. You were bringing gossip. And then you know what we're going to do? Whatever he thought to have had done to me, we're going to do it to him. 
And we can do that in our church as we judge things in the church. Our government doesn't do that, but we will do that. If somebody were to, it comes to you and they bring an accusation against me or even someone else, that if it were true, it would get them thrown out of the church and we find out that person was lying, we'll throw that person out for being a liar and a railer. And the Bible tells us we ought to throw people like that out of a church. So why are we doing that? Why, why do we got to be so careful with that? You know why? Because we ought to take accusations very serious. Very, they are very serious things. We could hurt people greatly. We could ruin a testimony. And not listen, this, and this is why it mentions it for the elder too. It's like, well, should we do that with everybody? I think that would be a good practice to do with everybody. But the Bible specifically mentions it for the pastor. You know why? Because if you destroy the pastor's reputation, you destroy the whole church's reputation. You're not going to hurt just me. You're going to hurt the whole church. And so we've got to take these things serious and we can't just let people go accusing the pastor whatever they want. And you've got to be careful not to receive that. You've got to be careful not listen. I promise you. Okay, Aaron's new here. And if Aaron, he's new to this church, we don't know him real well. He might be a gossip. Who knows? I haven't seen the evidence of it yet. But let's just say he were and he goes and the first person he goes to Alright, I got my new fresh audience to unload my gossip to. And if the first guy he goes to says, alright, I'm going to go get two witnesses because you're going to be accountable for what you, t- what you say. We're going to go to the pastor afterwards. Man, that's going to freak him out so bad he's never going to gossip in this church again. He's going to go down to one of the other churches where they don't do that stuff and he's going to cause all this trouble over there. And that's exactly what we would want to happen, isn't it? And if we would follow God's instructions, that would happen and we could keep that kind of junk out of the church. We ought to take, you ought to take accusations serious in the fact that, hey, I'm in receiving these things. I'm not going to take these lightly. I'm not going to listen to something that I have no right to listen to, something that doesn't have anything to do with me. And if I do have to listen to it, if somebody wants to make me a judge, I'm going to do it the Bible way and I'm getting the two witnesses. And I'm going to say, hey, he came to me with this, wanting to give me this. I didn't ask him to. Honestly, I don't really want it, but for whatever reason, he came to me. So you guys are my witnesses. I'm clean, alright? Alright, let's hear what you have to say now. Do you, do you think anybody's going to go spreading gossip in a situation like that? No, you're going to, you're going to eliminate it. And, and it, if they do continue on with it, it's, maybe it's because it is the truth. And let me tell you something. If I know something that's really bad about somebody... In a high position, that's a fact. You know what? I'm not going to be afraid to go before two or three witnesses. I'm not going to have a problem with that. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell whoever you want. You get whoever you want as a witness. Let them sit in. Let them hear it. Hold me accountable. Record my words. This is what I saw. This is what I know. I'm not afraid to say it to whoever you want me to say it to. That's what a person does who knows they're telling the truth, but a gossip will run from that real fast. So look at verse 20. It says, Them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another before another, doing nothing by partiality. Hey, when people get out of line, you say, if somebody sins, rebuke before all. Alright? Does that mean every single sin that somebody does I, I got to get up now as a pastor, and all right, 
Brother Lonnie did this this week, did this, you know, and then just start naming off every little thing. The Bible says rebuke before all, without partiality. Well, I believe when it's talking about the sin there, I do believe it's not just any sin, but there are specific things that the Bible mentions that are not to be once named among you to become a saint. For example, things like railing that we mentioned, things like fornication that are mentioned, that type of stuff needs to be publicly dealt with if it's going on in the congregation. Okay? Not just, you know, you, you saw the guy, you know, rent a bad movie or something like that. You know, that's not one of the things in the list. You know, that's a sin. Alright? You know, there's lots of things that are sin. You know, you saw him yell at his wife or you saw the wife back talk her husband. You know, that's not necessarily something we got to bring before the whole church. Okay? I believe when it's talking about the sins there, it's talking about specific sins that the Apostle Paul would often mention that were that had absolutely no place in the church. And when we do those things, it ought to be without partiality. If we've got one person in the church turns out to be a fornicator who doesn't give any money, we shouldn't throw him out. And then the other guy in the church is a fornicator who gives a lot of money, we don't throw him out. You know what? We're, we're going to do it without partiality. It's going to be the same for everybody. There are some, some things that uh, are, are, do not belong in the church and we need to deal with those things. Verse 22 says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other man's sins. Keep thyself pure. I believe when it talks about laying hands suddenly, I think it's talking about, hey, those people that you do ordain, those people that you do put in positions, don't do it quickly. They ought to prove themselves before you do that. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. Some people rush into those things. And I personally believe that laying on of hands there is referring to your ordaining elders, ordaining deacons. People need to prove themselves first. Before we bring somebody in the church, as far as you know, taking care of them financially, physically, whatever, that person needs to be proved. And we can't be quick to do that. It's going to take time. Once again, that will keep this place from becoming a place where all the widows come just because they're going to get stuff taken care of. No, you've got to be proven first. And that's not going to happen overnight. That's not going to happen even within the first year. And there's a lot of people out there, they want positions, they want them right away. There's a lot of guys out there, they want to be ordained, they want to go into the ministry, and it's like they want to come to church and get ordained in the next six months. Sorry, the Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man. You've got to be proved first. The Bible says you know, with the deacons, let them first be proved we saw that, I believe, last or two weeks ago in chapter 3. And I think that's another reference to that. Right here in verse 23, I think Paul's kind of giving a personal note to Timothy when he says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Uh, I think it's just kind of giving him a little health tip here. Timothy probably had some stomach problems when he's saying, Drink no longer water. Are we supposed to take and say, Folks, we're not allowed to drink water. The Bible says, Drink no longer water. That's what the Bible says. You know, well, I'm getting convicted right now. We're getting rid of our water cooler we have out there. The Bible says drinking a lot of water. You know, no, that, that's, he's, he's giving them a personal note, kind of giving a health tip. Hey, don't just drink water. You know what? Drink some wine for thy stomach's sake and for thine often infirmities. He obviously had, was getting sick often. And so, here's a, little health, here's a little health tip he gave. And that's what I personally think that means. Verse 24, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hit. Okay? And I think what he's talking about right there, I think that's kind of connected with 
the laying hands suddenly on no man. Sometimes when it comes to making judgment for bad things, it's real easy to figure out guilt. The evidence is all over the place. The evidence is real clear. It's real simple what needs to be done. In other cases, it's not so simple. Sometimes you look at situations and it's like, man, I just really don't know. Sometimes maybe there's a guy that comes along, hey, is this guy qualified? Is somebody that we can trust? Some people, it's real obvious. Some people, it takes a little bit of time. It's going to take some, it's going to take some good judgment. So basically what he's saying here is, hey, just be careful. Yeah, some people, man, I, you know, I knew. I knew within the first month we could trust this person. And you know, I've known him now for several years and I was right. But then there's other people, man, I, I thought I had him pegged. I thought they were right. I, 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 thought I, I thought I could trust them. I thought I knew they were good. But boy, did they turn out to be a snake. We're not always 100%, are we, when it comes to you know, our radar of what, that we have of people. Our first impressions are not always right. Sometimes they are. But the Bible is just basically saying right here, it's not always clear with people, so be careful. It's not always clear. You know, Maybe with the widows, we're trying to see if these are somebody we ought to take in. Hey, be careful. We don't want to get ourselves in trouble as a church. We don't want to bring in a deacon or an assistant pastor that turns out to be a snake and that turns out to be uh, you know, somebody who's going to end up causing problems and causing divisions. So let's be careful because sometimes it's not obvious what we're up against. And I believe that's what that passage is talking about. So how we treat others in church, how we run things are very important. Chapter 3, you know, Paul told Timothy he needed to know how to behave himself, how to behave in the house of God. And church is not supposed to be a free-for-all. It's not just a free-for-all where we just make up our own rules and we just do whatever we feel like doing. You know, where we just, hey, whatever we want to do, hey, let's just have a vote on it. You know, no, let's see what the Bible has to say. And let's follow the instructions that the Bible has given us. Let's follow them to the letter. And if we do, if we would practice these things, we can avoid a great deal of hardship. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to always be right. We're going to have the Judases that come through here. We're going to mess up. We're going to, we're, we're going to get things wrong sometimes. But you know what? I, when I see big problems that happen most of the time, it's not because, you know, of like we see in verses 24 and 25 where some things just aren't obvious. <clears throat> it's usually because we have violated, violated a clear command in the Scripture. We skip the step. You know, we, we, just, we got careless. And that's where problems come from. So if we take these things serious, I believe God will bless us and I believe God will be pleased. We want to know how to behave in the house of God and we need to make sure we're treating others the way God told us to treat them in this chapter. And if we, if we do that, I believe God will be pleased and will be successful in what we do. Filling this people or this church with good people that will be a blessing and not a burden and not a hardship that's just going to bring sin and evil and ultimately God's judgment on our church. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for uh, the clear instructions that You give so we can know what to do and we can make sure we get these things right so we can avoid a lot of the challenges and hardships that come from not doing these things. And Lord, I, I pray You'll help us to be a good example of these things uh, uh, to other churches so we can make a real difference. I just thank You for uh, all You do for us. In Your name we pray. Amen.